What we do here is go back, 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 back. It does no service to creating value for people where I came from if I won't say where I came from. And so nobody thought any thought this movie was going to work, and it did. One of my greatest struggles as a journalist is that I'm an emotional person and I'm a sensitive person. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 Knows. Guys, this podcast is built on the premise that hearing stories of struggle from people who most of us just think have it made is a way for the rest of us to realize we're not alone. If you've already subscribed on iTunes and you like what you hear, thank you. And please share it with others. You can take a screenshot of your phone while you're listening, post it on your social media, tag at Matty Dell on Instagram or at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook, email it to friends, shout it from your rooftop, beat people up on the street and force them to listen, whatever. If you can leave an iTunes review, boom, I love it. Either way, I appreciate the support. I'm glad you're listening, even if this is your first one. And I hope you're as inspired by my guests as I am. I, I call it uh, like I'm a can't nodder. Like, I can't not do this. All I knew about Traver Boehm before we sat down was what I learned from watching his 18-minute TED Talk entitled Make Pain Your Guru. It's definitely riveting. I highly recommend watching it. But what I love is that the energy he had as we chewed the fat, as it were, was much lighter. We not only delved into the pain he experienced when his wife walked out on him shortly after a miscarriage, followed by his business partner saying that they should also break up just a few days later, but we had some laughs as well. We also discovered we grew up in neighboring towns and both went to Boston College. His story takes us to Thailand, where he was fighting MMA in cage matches, to sequestering himself to a dark hut in Honduras for 28 days with no human contact. It it was just so extreme and his response to pain so unique that I was blown away by his insights. Can't wait for you to hear this. Traver Bone. I'll record now, but we won't, yeah. we won't use the open. There'll be a point where we'll cut sure, into it. Sure, sure, sure. But I'll just tell you this. So my, I just, I saw this thing recently, or listened to this thing recently with uh, Rich Roll, the Rich uh-huh. Roll podcast. Mm-hmm. He and his wife were doing some event and talking about, you know, <clears throat> married couples that are both doing creative things. And, and yeah. they said something about like the differences in how men and women work. And like, she's like, when I would go into his space and he was working, he'd have this imperceptible... <laughs> Cringe. <laughs> and I started laughing. And when Deirdre came in this morning, she's she like came in and I'm like, I'm like, what, what do you what do you need? What are you back here yeah, for? And she's like, yeah. you're such a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ah. gonna, and I felt so horrible, but I do, I'm like, I want to get into a flow and I'm like, I don't This is my spot. I don't want anybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. I'm with you. I'm fully with you. So it's um, your cave, brother. It's you know? the cave, yeah. exactly. Um, so you'll see I've uh we'll we'll probably start right around here. You'll see I have tremendous amount of research. Oh, perfect. On you. Perfect. So my it's funny, I inter- I, I interviewed this this woman yesterday who is uh I my shoes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um she's done so many things and I said, you know, I intentionally don't I don't like to know too much about the guest mm-hmm. before I get here. Sometimes I do I know them already or or whatever it might be, but um I like, I've seen your TED Talk. Okay. So I have that. That's like a little sliver of you. It's awesome, by the sure, way. Thank you. Anybody listening, um, Traver's got, how do you say your last name? Boehm. Boehm. Okay, yeah. that was right. 
Traver Bohm. He's got a if you if you Google him, he's got this awesome TED talk. Uh, I think TED Santa Barbara maybe. Mm-hmm. About 17 minutes long. 18 minutes. 18 minutes about, long. Yeah. And it's called like how to make pain your guru. Absolutely. And it's awesome. And it's, but what's funny and why I like to um, have this all off the cuff is like, you are intense on the stage. Thank like you. Really intense. And, you know, so there's part of me that's like, okay, I got to keep this thing intense. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really want that. Like, I want to hear the guy laugh and yeah. like see what else he does when he's right, not right, delivering right. this like, you know, it, it it's yeah. like a... It's such a call to action, that whole speech. It's great. Um, so thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And um, so so tell me about you were, you said you were just down in San Diego. Yeah. You're doing a workshop down yep. there. Is that kind of what you're doing now with this message is going around and going to different different groups and yeah. kind of- Yeah, I have a couple different messages that I'm promoting and that's one of them. Uh, and it is, how do people take the pain of their lives- and alchemize it and actually use it as fuel to do something great. So I ask questions such as, if your pain could speak to you today, what would it say? And have people then meditate on that and then write out answers. And just a different paradigm, a different a reframe around pain is, it's constant or it's, it's inevitable, yeah. right? In the human experience. Here in the US, we are conditioned to do anything and everything not to feel it especially as men, we are doubly conditioned to not feel it or express it. So I think there's two things happening in that instance. One, we're suppressing something that needs to be out and released. Two, we have, we miss the opportunity cost of using it. Like, wow, this stuff is fuel. I've done great things because of massive amounts of pain. I'm not advocating that people go seek it out unless that's your turn on, but it's going to find you anyway. Just hang on. If, if you're like, oh, my life hasn't been that painful. Just wait. It's It'll coming. It'll be there. It, yeah. It'll be there. I totally agree. I've said that many times here. And that's kind of, you know, the the point of this whole podcast in a way. And and sometimes it's more pointed with different interviews than others. But um, I had actually people may have heard this by the time this comes out. I interviewed uh, an old friend of mine the other day, but he's has a crazy story of mm. being you know, New York City firefighter, uh, marathon runner, Iron Man, and was oh, wow. run over by a bus. Oh wow! And right, basically told okay that he should die. They right. thought he was going to die, and not only did he come back, he ended up running another marathon, did another Iron Man, and wow. now he he got married. And like his whole purpose right comes from the accident. Yeah, and that's that's always been my thought. Is like yeah the most people that you look at that have actually most of the people I've interviewed, yeah, you know, they have this drive and this purpose. It did come from something like from that, loss, or, you know, yeah, 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 or a massive interrupt, right? Life came along and smacked you in the head. Yeah. And so t- tell me about sure. you were uh, just, you know, if there are guys that are like dudes out there listening, they're like, yeah. oh, he doesn't want me to feel pain. This is a guy, you're a professional fighter. Yeah. I was a professional MMA fighter. MMA fighter. I mean, that's yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know how you do that. I lived that, in the world of pain, Yeah, of inflicting pain, of constant body pain. I have a broken neck, a torn ACL. I've broken both my hands. I've broken ribs. I've had have a fake tooth. My ears are all jacked up. Uh, I lived in a constant state of pain for years and inflicted as much pain as possible as I could on people for years. When you were how old? Like when to when? This was 30 to 35. 
30, 29 to 30, 34-ish. And That's the, pretty crazy that yeah. it's that late, actually. Yeah. I mean, the sport was illegal Yeah, when I first saw it. You know, I went down to Tijuana and would watch it. That's the only place there were fights. Yeah. And then, I remember doing it, getting right. like, a, I, I was in New York at the time, young actor, and went in for something that was like a PSA for UFC. Right. And and uh, maybe, maybe it was just like a commercial <clears throat> for UFC. And I remember feeling like morally conflicted what I did, like you know, because it seemed just right. like so brutal. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you did, where'd you grow up though? Where did you grow up at? So here? I grew up in Connecticut. With a five-year stint from age from fifth grade to tenth grade in Tokyo, and then back to Connecticut. Where in Connecticut? Wilton. No way. Yeah. Are you from there? I, I'm from. I went Pound Ridge, New York. Oh, okay. So I, I played lacrosse. I'm against sure you did. Wil- yeah, 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 yeah. A bunch of my friends probably. Yeah. That's funny. How old yeah. are you? Uh, forty-two. I'm forty-five. So okay, I got three years. Out. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that's crazy. So yeah. and then you went to Tokyo. My whole family moved in fifth grade. For a job or for, something. Yeah, my dad worked for IBM. Okay. Spent five years there. Got to see a whole different perspective of life, the world, the human experience. Came back to Connecticut. Uh, college in Boston where I swam and played water polo. And then spent my first winter in California. I was like, oh, wow. I never have to scrape ice off my car again. Yeah. Where, where in Boston, by the way? I went to BC. BC. What? Yeah. You went to Boston College? I did. Yeah, yeah, So did I. Yeah. What year were you? 98. I'm 94. I had no idea. <laughs> I, don't, I know as much about you as you do about yeah, me. Wow. Exactly. All right, go Eagles. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. See the connections yeah. that are being made on 10,000 no's? <laughs> oh, my God. That is nuts. Yeah. We got parallel lives. Maybe yeah. I'm going to go uh, do some MMA fighting next. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So you, so you were there. You swam, mm-hmm. water polo. Yeah. And then, and then what, what, what happened after that? Just came out here. My came cousin out. lived here. I was like, yeah, let's uh, check out the West Coast. You know, I fell in love with surfing, fell in love with the weather, fell in love with the vibe. It was so much more open yeah. than the East Coast seemed. I didn't fit in that, you know, graduate, go get an internship, go do your first year working 18 hours a day, grad, you know, go into finance. Uh, I wanted a different path. And so I came out here and... Very randomly, on a flight out here, I read the book The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. If you haven't read that, anybody listening to this, read that. I don't know it. Incredible book. Uh, New York Times bestseller for months and months, if not years. And I wrote him a letter. So he does private security for all of the top of Hollywood and threat assessment for the FBI, et cetera. He's he's kind of a savant at threat assessment. Wrote him up my first letter. First time I've ever written an author letter, I was like, I feel like such a dork, but your book was so moving. Can you recommend bodyguarding school, something of that nature? And he mailed me back a job application. For the next six years, I bounced around the globe protecting people that you work for and work with and want to work for. Really? Yeah, random. So what was your fighting background or self-defense background at that point to get that job were you it wasn't extensive you know it was i had i think i had a black belt in taekwondo which is essentially useless what i what i had <laughs> but, you, but you were doing taekwondo as a kid kind yeah of like, judo as a kid okay yeah. so you I, were you were in the world background. of fighting in yeah. some way it's not like yeah. you just were like hey let's no. you know and they yeah but what they really liked was i was a lifeguard that's what they wanted because you take a 63 year old ceo of a billion dollar firm, he's more likely to have a heart attack 
than he is to have someone walk up and shoot him, right? He's more likely to fall down a flight of steps and need help. And they needed people that could think. They needed people that, one on my end, that looked like a 25-year-old assistant to the guy that doesn't really want people to know he's got private security. Right. And he needs private security. So then my boss, who was like 6'5", 350, built like a brick shithouse ex-Marine, would go with him to the Oscars where they're like, we want people to know you have security here. Right. But then I'd be the briefcase carrying armed guy with him in meetings or traveling around Asia or wherever, wherever, whatever we were doing. That is really it was wild. cool. I mean, that's yeah. – and, and would you be assigned to – the same person uh, every time, or would you bounced around with different clients? Like both. Yeah. You know, if, when it, when they were execs, we'd spend a lot of time with them because it was a lot of their travel, and they don't want a new face. You know, every two weeks to show up to be like, "Hey, I'm so and so." So yeah, you'd have clients for an extended period of time, but then stuff would pop up, and I would get all the details that went to Japan because I spoke Japanese. So I'd be like, "All right, you're going to go over with so and so. He's got a." three-week press tour in Tokyo. Okay, cool. Stuff like that. What was that like, the downtime of that? Because I would imagine that's one of those jobs where it sounds like many of the people I interview here, you know, that sounds really glamorous. Mm -hmm. And then there's probably a lot of downtime. Yeah, it's um, about 5% awesome private jets, back part, you know, backroom parties and social events, and about 95% Stand next to that door. Make sure no one doesn't. Make sure no one comes in. We'll be back in twelve hours to get you. Yeah. Can I have a book? No. 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 Stay vigilant. Vigilant for what? Um. There's, there's a back door to a event center. Yeah. Stay here. You're awesome, wow. by the way. We'll see that. Yeah, that's <laughs> what they don't tell you. <laughs> no, but that, that's like acting. I mean, people are right. like, oh, it's so glamour. You're like, yeah. And then people come and visit a set and they're like, yeah, yeah. what are you guys doing? It's like watching paint dry. You right. know, you, you're doing right. a bunch of takes. And right. if you're not actually in it, you know, if you're in it, there are things that are, you know, nuances that you're paying attention to. But right. if you're not, you're visiting, you're like, what are you guys, you know, it's yeah. just a, um, so that's interesting now thinking about your TED talk <clears throat> where you kind of locked yourself in that pain cave, which yeah. we'll, we can get to, but I also don't want to, I, I say to people that are listening, you know, if you like Traver here, then go see the TED talk. We don't need to like relive it here because right, it's, right. it's there, but we can touch on it. But I mean, that's interesting now thinking of how your mind mm. must've been trained to deal with Boredom. stillness, quiet, yeah. Nobody around standing there. I mean, I used to, when I was at BC, yeah. um, before I, I bartended at this place, I used to work the door um, when I was an underclassman and me and and my buddy actually, who, who then went on to be a Navy SEAL and a trauma surgeon. Oh, and cool. We would sit at the door and they wouldn't let us sit on the stools. Right. We would have to stand, have there. To stand there. And and on a slow night, right. we would just, you know, we would just talk about anything and, and everything. everything. We dissect movies or yeah. we, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you really have to learn to use yeah. your mind in that waiting period. Yeah. So you've obviously I've done it. I had a heavy meditation history for my whole life. But guy, you know, to your point, uh the best guys to have as partners on these details were military guys because they would talk about anything. Because they were so conditioned to be hours and days and weeks of like, be ready, but wait. So those guys, I mean, talk, like you said, dissect movies, favorite foods, yeah. these like, would you rather games? Like they, they were the best ones because anything they could just slide into a conversation. 
Yeah. yeah, my mind was somewhat conditioned. You know, that was a unique experience. Uh, and it was a unique experience at a time in my life when I was prepping for it. And the period of my life called for a lot of meditation and a lot of introspection and a lot of quiet. And so you did that, you said six years? Is that what you said? You were- Yeah, on and off for six years for Gavin. Okay, so you were... You, you come out of BC, you come right out west, mm-hmm. uh, LA or San LA. Diego? LA. Yeah. Uh, west side or east side? Or, uh, Hermosa Beach. Hermosa Beach. Yeah. Wow. I want to surf. It's nice. Um, and then you you do that. Yeah. So now you're at about like 27 27, 28. Yeah. And that's when you find MMA I, or a little bit later. Do you have a gap between that or what? Not really a gap, but at the same time, I left Gavin's to go to acupuncture school. So to do a four-year grad pro- program down in uh, in Venice. And at that time, so I was, was like, all right, went from bodyguarding to long periods of sitting and staring at someone talking to me. And about uh, halfway through my first year of that, and, and I'll say at this point, there were classes that would be one class, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Now, I don't sit well, or I didn't at that <laughs> point you know, for four hours. Yeah. And so about halfway through my first semester, I was like, I'm not going to make four years. And there's something in the back of my head. I, I want to fight. So I'm going to put my schooling on hold. I'm going to go to Thailand. I'm going to fight there. I'm going to train and live and fight just for a couple months there and get my stand-up fighting dialed in. Because I had been doing jiu-jitsu at the time, so I knew my ground game was okay. But stand-up had been taekwondo, which wasn't that effective and in, uh, in actual fighting. So I took a year off, went to Thailand, trained, fought there, got my ass handed to me, came back, and then dove into the fight world for just a full year with school on hold. And then did both for the next three years. That's what I talk about. Yeah, in the of, talk of that, healing yeah. during the day and, and yeah, inflicting the, punishment at night. The dichotomy, yeah. So th- what's wild to me about that is um, so many people – have a hard time getting off their ass to go to the grocery store. You like, were just like, <laughs> I'm going to Thailand. Yeah. And you went to Thailand for a year and yeah. learned how to fight. Is that something that has always been in you, that ability to just make a decision and go fully toward it? Or was that something that was learned behavior? Or was it learned from your parents? Or where do you think that comes from? I'm not sure. Is it natural to you? Is that doesn't seem like a big deal to you to do that? No, it's... I, I call it uh, like I'm a can't notter. Like I can't not do this. My life will will disintegrate around me, right? This thing is like circling in my head. It's swirling. It's, it's I'm chewing on it. Like what if I did that? What if I did that? What would my life be like if I didn't do that? I would look back and regret it. And I don't ever want to get to the end and go, shit, I wish, I wish I'd just tried. So I literally got on a plane with a backpack. They had no idea where I was staying, had no idea where the camp was. I just knew the city it was in. Flew, got there and was like, can you guys recommend me somewhere to stay? I'm like, yeah, go here, here, here. You know, I remember walking up to a guy in fight shorts in Chiang Mai. I'm like, hey, do you know where this camp is? He's like, yeah, 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 come with me. And we're still friends to this day. But something said, go do this. And that was a period of my life that, I'm at, I guess I'm still in, but not as much as the time of you got to do this. Life, you will, you will not be okay later if you don't do this now. Yeah. And so there was a sense of urgency that was bigger than the fear around shit. What if this doesn't work out? Yeah. What if I, have I mean, to sleep I guess it's funny. I as you 
put it in that way, I have the same thing in me. It's not right. quite as dramatic to me, but maybe that's because it's my life. But even being at BC, right. playing lacrosse there, stopping lacrosse and doing a play and then saying, I'm going to be an actor. Like it's, it's, it, it <laughs> is, like, it's just because it's your well, life, man. Yeah, maybe, just maybe that is. But, but for yeah. me to hear you say like, I got, you know, I just, I was there, I was bored, you know, I couldn't sit still. So I went to Thailand for a year yeah. and fought. It's crazy. But, um, but that had been in my head, Yeah, you know, and this is pre-internet being what it is today. So there was one website about fighting in Thailand. That's it. But it was the adventure too of, God, I just got to try this. Yeah. You know, I got to go for it. I got to go for it. Same thing when I first time I watched MMA, I was like, oh, fuck, I got to do that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. no, you you can swear. Uh, I mean, I, I you should go back okay. and listen to my early ones. I swore all over the place. Okay, and my good. dad was like, I think you don't need to swear. So much. <laughs> uh, and, and for like three episodes, I'm like, that's that's my thing. I don't care. Yeah, and after yeah. I listened to him, I was like, yeah, maybe he's right. Yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll tone it down. But yeah. they they okay. slip out every once. In, you know, everybody yeah. needs an f bomb once in a while. As right. long as my kids aren't listening. Um, but that was so, it. It's like I have to do this, and then yeah. that compulsion or. Uh, something, you know it, you know, you had to try it. You know, you had to do that play. Yeah. Something inside of you was speaking out of you as opposed to something being spoken into you. Yeah. And that's, yeah. How, that's what it was. It's like, you know, the call, the, the Joseph Campbell. Are Absolutely. You, yeah. You Fully, hear the call it. yeah. and it's, it's hard to, um, it, it, you can't, you literally, that's how I describe it. It's like, you can't resist it. You got to go. No. You, or your life will reorient itself so that you have to do it. And yeah. that's shitty. Usually that means stuff's going to fall away or it's going to crumble or it's going to, et yeah. cetera. Okay. Well, actually, that's sure. a good kind of segue into, mm -hmm. uh, we can bounce around a little. I kind of wanted to get the chronology, but mm -hmm. one of the, the big event you talk about in, in the TED Talk is that happening to you. Mm -hmm. And it was, was it a miscarriage? Miscarriage. Okay. Yeah. And then that led to a divorce. A divorce. Yeah. A, a few Which months was later. Just right? a, a walkout. It was, I'm sorry, where are you going today? Oh, you're moving out. Oh. After are you serious? Oh, we were just in bed together. We were just hanging out. We just had breakfast. What What's going on here? It was that out of the blue. Wow. Yeah, after Christmas, after holidays, after spending time with family, after a lot of laughing, it was, wow, okay. At midnight that night, I went to bed thinking everything was normal in my marriage. By 9 a.m. that morning, my marriage was done. You know, I actually don't think that's as... I feel like I've heard that story. Oh yeah, I, I didn't know it's, at the time, right? When it's common, it but when it happens, yeah, it's like yeah, there's nothing underneath. None, the there's rug's no floor. Gone. Rug's gone. Yeah. So how long were? By the way, do you mind? Sure. Talking okay, about I'm, I'm a full open book, man. How how long were you married for? Was, I was married it? for two and a half years, uh -huh. so not too long. We've and been together for she she and I went to acupuncture school together. So, so you knew each other so from when you were like 27 yeah. before Thailand or, or yeah, we okay. just, yeah, she was just a classmate at that point. Got it. You yeah. went away for a year. You came, came back, back, you fought, ended, finished up mm -hmm. acupuncture school. Mm -hmm. You guys got to know each other there. Mm -hmm. And then you're what, like 30 ish when you get married or uh, a couple years later. So mm -hmm. I got out of school, moved to Santa Barbara uh, to open a business. She came up about a year later and then we started dating and then got married. Okay. Or dating again. We dated on and off in acupuncture school. Okay. 
And uh, well, I'm sorry that yeah, you went through that. Okay. And yet, as yeah, you talk about- I'm so glad I went through yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, for people to hear. Yeah. I was just talking about this over the weekend. Um, we uh, actually, who you're going to meet next, mm-hmm. we did this workshop. And I we and we talked about that one about the call, you mm-hmm. know, and like the opening of a screenplay. It's always kind of this like stasis equals death, right. where they're setting up the character, and if if they don't, if they keep going on that trajectory, it's just going to be a numb, mm-hmm. you know, a numb slow death. Yeah, until something happens that Boom. that you know kicks off the film, 100%. the story, and um, and we also talked about that kind of what you talk about so beautifully there is the pain being a guru that these things that we're bracing ourselves against yeah. end up being the best thing. Yeah. In hindsight, you know, I can say this now three years later, that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It tore my life apart. My business partnership ended up going the same route in two or three days later. So it was, Two or three days yeah, later. Was it related to that? Completely unrelated. It just became very clear from the conversation when I said, hey, I, this happened, she took off, uh, that I knew in that conversation that our uh, our relationship was also not going to last. And so it was everything was suddenly in transition. In like because the business part – was the business partner male? Or, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was he – like did it make him look less at you? Like No, no, no. Or, I think it had just been – you know, I had other interests for a long time and – it was it was both this hey this as it's as it is right now it's not working right you want to do all this other stuff you have these other ideas you keep talking about writing these books and giving these talks and working in this capacity so this is we're bumping up against that we've bumped up against that for a long time and go do that stuff right just take this opportunity to your life just fell apart yeah rebuild it in all the ways you keep saying you want it to be but yet doing something else. So that was actually cool yeah. with that person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you still uh, yeah, in we're a relationship, still, yeah, like a friendship a relationship. with that person? Yeah. yeah. So um, it, was, it was everything at once. It was like, oh shit, I'm down to the studs. Okay. I need to rebuild my entire identity. I need to figure out who the hell I am, first of all. I have no idea who I am without this. this I am this person's husband. I am the owner of this business. Those are my two main pillars of identity. And they just vanished. And boom, gone. So what's interesting about this to me is it's not like you were a guy that was not extremely self-aware before that. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like, it's one thing when you hear the story and someone was just kind of like, and then this happens and they become this different person. But you seem like you were a searcher. I was. Way before this. Yeah. And even through that searching, that landed you here with this woman. Right. And yet, what do you think? Was it just the 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 pain and the everything that came from the miscarriage? Or that was just that just exacer- exacerbated it and made her realize, okay, similar way to the business partner realize, like, oh, we're on different paths. We're not really Yeah, I we think shouldn't so. Be you know, it's a great question. Um I think she saw half of my life one way. So it was very split. It was, I'm helping people with their health. I'm, I'm, this is what I do. I'm an acupuncturist and a gym owner and a a coach to people 
to say, hey, your life's not working. Let me help you organize it in a way that will. And then I'm going to come home and get high as a kite and drink a bottle of wine. Oh, you were? I am. Yeah. Really? Day in, day out. Yeah. So I had my own demons. And it was this, I talked to a counselor about a year before my marriage ended. And he's like, you're not an addict. You're just suffering from lack of full expression. I was like, that's some great hippie shit, man. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Uh, And now in hindsight, go, yeah, he was right. Like I was trying to write for magazines. I wanted to write a book. I was trying to get on circuits to do talks. At the same time, tethered to this brick and mortar business that took so much of my time and energy that I kept saying to myself, to my partner and to my wife, just wait, just a little bit longer. Like the gym makes enough money. I'll be able to do this. Just just a couple more months of this insanity and I'll be able to do that. And this will all change and it will all change and it will all change. And I think she finally just said, it's never going to change. And he said, it's not going to change while you're here. So she left and he said, go, go do your thing. Wow. You know what you're making me think of is, uh, have you ever read or done The Artist's Way or heard of it? I read it in my early 20s. Me too. It was way back. But one of the things, I I, want to say the woman's name was like Julie Cameron, maybe. I don't even, I don't know if it's up. I don't think it's up on that shelf, but, um, no, I feel like I saw it somewhere recently. <laughs> it's around. But it's around. But the thing that it's making me, it's make, oh, it is up there somewhere. It's making me think of, she talks about uh, shadow artists mm-hmm. and how subconsciously we we get close to things that we really want to do, but yeah. we don't realize it. A so like- A hundred percent. It's like your inner being- Yep kind of knew you wanted to do exactly what you're doing now. Exactly. But your logical side was like, yep. I can't do that. That's crazy. You know, I'm going to just, yeah. I'm going to have a gym. Yep. Yeah. And it, it did let me. So if you, when I look back on it, I was like, okay, I wanted to be a writer and a speaker and a teacher. I wrote a daily blog for our gym. I taught four classes a week of CrossFit and other movements. So I, I led seminars and workshops out of my gym. So I was doing what I wanted to do. But not not, not to the extent. It was not full expression. Uh, I was ha- not hampered, but there were there were boundaries. Right, I couldn't write all the stuff I wanted to write about because it was the front page of a business. Right, I could speak how I wanted to, but not to the depth and to the the scope. I you know I wanted to be traveling around the world giving talks. I wanted to be speaking in front of three hundred, four hundred, five hundred, a thousand people, and talking about subjects that went beyond just the physical. Just lift these weights this way. Use your back that way. Right? Yeah. And it was almost, it was brilliant training. I had to write a daily blog for six years, every single day. Talk about training as a writer. Yeah. Right? I had to stand in front of a group of 15 to 30 people multiple times a day and teach and talk. Talk was about CrossFit training. Gym? It was CrossFit yeah. gym. Yeah. I led seminars in our gym. So now when I stand up in front of a group of people, it's like, I've got six years of reps under my belt. Yeah, you did your 10,000 so hours. I did my 10,000 yeah. hours. And I think I had started to outgrow that paradigm, but yet was terrified to leave it and couldn't leave it under the, you know, we were having a kid. So I can't suddenly go, hey, this is the time I'm going to leave the business and go start this speaking career or this writing career. And the business needed me. I felt that uh, he since sold it. So it needed both of us, or that's what I, that's my thought at the time. So yeah, I felt very constrained, and I didn't know it. 
<clears throat> so I was drinking and getting high to hold that constraint in and to hold down that level of expression. I've had people read my writing since and say, if that's what you were holding back, it had no choice but to blow itself up. If that talk was in there, it's that powerful, then it had to blow you up to get out. There was no keeping that shit in. Yeah. And that's how I feel right now, fully expressed. Oh my God, this is my 12th hour of interview this week, right? I'm, that's the level I'm at. Yeah. And that was being held down. And so it didn't work for either of them. And I love them both. And I'm you know, not sorry that I was with both of them, but I know it was difficult to be around someone who kept saying, God, I just want to do this thing. And I'm sure they could feel it. Yeah. The like throb of like, fuck, this guy's got to do something that's not working right now. Yeah. That's why I say it was a blessing. Well, it's, it's, I really relate to you. Maybe it's a BC thing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is, but but like, I really relate to it. I mean, that's, that's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I've been recently like, you know, speaking and doing more of those workshop things. I think there's part of me that feels, I love what I do, I love acting. Yeah. But the problem with acting is you only do it a sliver of the time. You're right. looking for work. Right. And there's a lot of times when you're not actually working. Right. And so I think this is a way where it's like I have more to to give. And yeah. and for a while I was feeling kind of you know, you feel like a mummy being trapped, which yeah. is ironically what <clears throat> Sorry, I shouldn't. You know, no, go for it. Keep going. No, no, no. Because I'm just saying this is your interview, and here it's I am. It's all right. My brother's like, I'm like, have you listened to the podcast? He's like, I couldn't get it. You kept interrupting and talking. <laughs> I don't mind. I love like, listening right, as asshole. much as I love speaking. <laughs> so, um, no, but anyway, you, you know, that's the same thing that turned me toward acting in the first place. I was in Italy in college at BC, yeah. between sophomore and junior year, and I basically had that same thing where it was like it erupted out of me into yes. a journal. Yeah. I couldn't. I had all this expression that just yeah. was not being expressed. And you then it's just kind constrain of, it. it was like a volcano. Right. Um, and I didn't know what to do with it. And then right. it turned into acting. Right. You know? Um, it doesn't Jung say something about that, that if your psyche is watching you not express itself, it will tear your life down so that that expression can come out. Yeah. Something to that effect. Yeah. That, yeah. That's one of the main coaches I work with, acting coaches out here, her whole uh backdrop i guess or is is jungian mm-hmm. so it's all it's like dream work and, yeah. and basically saying like you know our our conscious self is like a cork bobbing on the ocean of our unconscious oh so so, true. so when you have dreams at night it's just sending up it's yeah. like basically putting on a production every night going right. like hey you forgot about me yeah I'm gonna, you know i'm gonna cast this person in this role but this is a part of you that's not being expressed right and then, you know, you can either just like, I guess, drink and do whatever yeah, to, to keep to it down, keep it down, right. or you listen to it and follow it. Right. Yeah. Um, man. So, okay. So let me just, let me try to get a picture of, of what I, theoretically I totally am with you, mm-hmm. but like logistically what happened at that point, you were in Santa Barbara. Yeah. I stayed in Santa Barbara for the rest of the year. That was in January of 2015. And I was back and forth with my business partner about, is there a way I can stay? Is there a way I can do half and half? You know, how do we negotiate this so that do I sell him my half of the business? 
And at the time, uh, my now ex-wife was not bouncing back and forth between I want to work on this and I don't. She was bouncing back and forth between um, I don't want to get divorced. I just need some time and some space and to figure this out. So I'm going to move to Malibu, change my name and change my life. But I'll keep you kind of on hold. And so I just had a shit year, like a terrible year. Uh, it Both of them, I made the decision to leave the gym. And there's some interesting timing, man. Uh, at this, I made the decision to leave the gym the night I knew my marriage was done. So I found out from her, this is done. We're not going to work on it. Like, I'm going to see a divorce attorney tomorrow. Even though that conversation had always been like, no, no, maybe, no, no, no. Boom find that out, have a conversation an hour later <clears throat> with my business partner. We're in that conversation. I go, okay, this is done. Now I'm leaving. This this relationship's now over as well. So within the hour. And they actually, uh, my divorce finalized and he sold the business a year later to the day. So it was like 48 hours, one hour a day. Those chapters closed themselves out almost you know, it's the pure synchronicity. So I spent the latter half of that year, like first half of the year, just devastated and not knowing what to do and depressed. And, you know, it sucked. It felt like I'd lost everything I ever wanted. And then the last half of the year dealing with attorneys and getting the logistics of the divorces figured out, you know, and trying to hold myself together and figure out what do I do now? Right? What the hell do I do with all of this time and space <clears throat> and this energy? You know, and, and how do I honor it? That kept coming up. And it kept coming up of shit. I was getting advice of, you have a gym of 300 people. Go find another woman. You can get remarried within six months if you want. Right? You're around beautiful women. Do that. Go open the exact same business five miles away. You were really good at it. Some of us will come with you, right? Just re rebuild your life. Yeah. And, and I'd say to these people, I will be right back here three years from now. In the same spot. In the exact yeah. same spot because yeah. I haven't learned what I'm supposed to learn. And there's something else going on here, whether that was spiritual bypass at the time or insight into, huh, people's lives don't get torn to shreds for no reason, right? The coincidences were too great. The whatever we want to call it, the intuition was too great. And I had spent a good amount of my time reading books by people like Carolyn Mace and Young and go, oh, wow, is this the start of individuation? Is this the dark night of the soul? I'd read so many stories about people who, God, you lose everything. And they just get someone goes, hang on, just hang on. Don't freak out. And then a year or two later, they look back and go, oh, wow, thank God. Thank God. So I had that in the back of my head yeah, and was just kind of sitting tight, you know, and then I made the decision to do what would come next, which is the, to live 2016 under that massive paradigm of the year to live project of what would I do from January 1st to December 31st, if it were my last year to live. And so that's where the darkness piece comes in. That was a... <clears throat> Conscious decision. See, I hundred percent conscious. This is decision. how ignorant I am. I don't even the year to live project. Yeah. I uh, I had not heard that. Yeah, or, but that's that that's, was my t entire twenty sixteen. You know, I have so much space. Yeah. I have unlimited time. I have a lot of energy. 
I now have a, a check because I've sold my half of a very successful business. What do I do with myself? Okay. And that's when you went to Guatemala? Yeah. Okay, but you weren't there. So it was what? The, was it 30 days where you were? 28 days. 28 yeah. days. Yeah. Did that kick off that year? Or that was what? in the middle. It was in the middle. I kicked off the year by... Uh, I, by the way, ahead. just to describe to people. Sure. So uh, Traver talks about in, in his TED Talk that he spent 28 days in basically uh, a cell, it sounds like, with... I mean, it's yeah, like, and like a, a concrete hut, we'll call it. A concrete it. hut with yeah. like a toilet and like no, were there any windows or no? No windows. windows. No windows. 28 days. 28 straight. days. Yeah. Cra- crazy. So listen to the, the TED Talk, guys. Uh, go on. So that was sure. that was in the middle of it. So where did you <clears throat> kick it off? I kicked it off. I stayed in Santa Barbara for a month and there were things I, so that the thing I was trying to accomplish, the goal was I was going to use this question. What would I do if it were my last year to live? What would I do? And to take that question from my head and drop it all the way down. Because I thought there's the potentiality here of I need to go back and figure out what in my life needs to get healed. Because I too was a participant in these relationships. I too was a participant in poor behavior in my marriage. I was the one drinking. I was the one getting high. That was okay for me or in my head. Something's not right. I need to go heal parts of my past. So there was that. And then, huh, what do I need to learn and develop and experience so that the next 40 years of my life are radically different, more conscious, present, and actualized than the last 40 were? Because it was also right at my 40th birthday. I thought, man, people do all this when they're 85, yeah. They do it when they're 92 and they have cancer and they go make these hard phone calls. They tell people they love them. They apologize. They make amends. Yeah. It's this, this you know, bedside enlightenment. I'm like, shit, they, the last 40 years, they didn't do that. So what if I did it in the middle hmm. and I used this year? And so I stayed in Santa Barbara. Uh, the very first thing I did was call my ex-girlfriend from 10 years before who I'd lived with when I went to Thailand and said, uh, my marriage just ended. I want to get some really honest insight into what it was like to date me. And what was the hardest part about dating me? I need to see if there's parallels here. I want to know, I want to own my own shit. So would you be willing to come have lunch with me and just lay it on the table? (laughs) Like, this is what you sucked at. And did it. And then ended up calling another ex-girlfriend who I know what sucked, me, (laughs) <laughs> and, <laughs> and I know how that ending was awful and how she was treated so years back. And we hadn't spoken for about five years and said, I owe you an apology. Would you let me take you to lunch? And I'm going to ask for forgiveness and close this loop, right? These open circles that eat at us and weigh on us. And maybe once a month I would think about her and be like, ah, someday I'm going to have to apologize, you know, and close that. And I started studying I hired an intimacy coach, a guy named Michael Russer, who lives, I think, in Santa Barbara. I uh, went and worked with Michaela Bohm and learned about polarity and studied David Data's work because I knew I wanted to get back in relationships. So how do I, how do I, what, what do I need to learn? What do I need to learn about masculinity, about masculine integrity, about being a man, about being communicative, about being intimate, right? And then from there, made the first big jump which was I went to Santa Fe 
and I volunteered in hospice for about three months. And you talk about that. Yeah, and I worked with people who were dying and just sat with them and held with them and experienced them. And if anybody, that's a, it's a monumental thing to do. I think every human should have to spend time in hospice. It will change how you view life. It will change how you view death. It will change what I now consider, you know, that I had a rebirth. My old life died. And I was mourning that death, but then getting to see, wow, this is what real death is. Yeah. This is the beauty of it. Some of these guys are actually excited. They can't wait to die. I mean, that's not what I've been told. Everything I've learned was wrong. Where does my own fear of death play in? Well, how has it played for the last 40 years? How can I change it and alchemize it so that the next 40 years are different? Yeah, I went on this huge journey. You know, and I wanted to, the, the, the point of the question wasn't, what would I do? It's who would, what would I need to do so that I would become a person that on that last day, on that last breath, I would be full. So for some people, that's go see the Eiffel Tower, check. That's learn to surf, check. For me, it wasn't. It was go inward, be of service, learn things, experience things on a much different level. It wasn't a glamorous year. You know, I didn't do a lot of things that people say they'd like to do. I didn't go, I'm a surfer. I didn't go down and just surf for the year. You know, every dude I've asked this to, if they're not conscious, like I'd go to Thailand and bang hookers. Okay. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to experience just the the surface level of life, but really drop down underneath that. Yeah. I'm, I'm blown away by it because it's something that you see in movies. You, you could have a conversation late at night about that kind of thing, but you actually right. did it. Yeah. And I would ask people, man, I would ask people all along the way, what would you do? What would you do? And the answer would, would, you know, people would burst into tears. It would, it would like hit them in the, I could tell when it hit them in the heart, when they'd actually dropped it down from their head. And it was, fuck, I'd leave my marriage. I would get married. I would tell this person I'm in a relationship, like, we're going for it. Enough of this pussyfooting around. I would do this. I would write a book for my kids. I would start video journaling for my son. And of course, I'm like a, a wreck hearing this all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And I, my hope was that they would then go do it. Right? So I was trying to spread this, this idea the whole time, too. Because it is a question we hear. It's like a cocktail hour question. Like, what would you do if it was your last year to live? Right. right? But people don't really drop it in. And then, or if they do, they start putting up barriers. Well, I have kids. I have a job. I can't just go travel around the world and do this thing. But can you live a different way, a different way this weekend? Would you be kinder to your spouse? Would you be more patient with your kids? Would you just pick up the guitar? as opposed to playing Madison Square Garden? What are these things that are on the periphery around your life that you keep saying someday, someday, someday? You know, when I tell people about calling that woman and asking her to lunch because I, I was the one who had screwed up and I was the one who owed her an apology, I ask everybody, do you have any, and you guys listening, does any of you have anyone in your life that you know you right now could pick up a phone and say, hey, I'm really sorry how that worked out. I'm really sorry how I behaved in that situation. I'd like to apologize just for my own behavior. Will you forgive me? And 100% of the people go, yeah, I may have somebody. 
Yeah. And I'm like, all right, here you go. Slide my phone across the table. Let's call him right now. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, 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 they're probably busy. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because we have these things that we just don't do. But suddenly I had permission. I had, like the paradigm was now different. I had given myself permission to do every last little thing that I had previously put a barrier between. And that barrier was someday. And is that barrier, um, that's just fear. That barrier is fear. Yeah. And a desire a, to conform. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's multi-layered. Yeah. But usually it's fear. It's disappointment. It's, it's what we've been taught. It's, it's the, the, the railroad tracks we're walking down. Like you went to BC, you are an abnormality. Most guys, like we weren't taught at that school, go pursue your passion. We were taught, go get an internship. Right, like JP Morgan, go go there. That's you're doing really great. Right. So you even have a, a different pathway than most people and are following a passion that isn't paying you every month, every week, every you know, you said it, like you're chasing it still, you're creating it. Yeah. And I think most people, not all people, but most people have that little burning, flickering light of I'd really like to do this, whatever this may be. And I wanted to inspire them just to touch that light. Or take it from 10% to 20% and see what happens. Do not walk out on your families. Do not suddenly just use I was just going to say, yeah. yeah, I think people- Don't do that. I, I think that's one of the things, in your case, it was that kind of drama, but it wasn't self-induced. And that's what you needed to do that. Mm -hmm. But I, I think you're right by saying that because I think people listening go, it's, it's like this- um, I don't know if it's the culture we live in or what it is, but it's like all or nothing. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're going to do that. I'm going to walk or, or right. no, I'm just going to do everything exactly as I've been doing instead yeah. of going, well, like that's a, just a great thing you just said about like, pick up the guitar. You know, I have a guitar yeah. in the, in the living room. I've got a keyboard out here. I, I play both, but I don't play either very often. Yeah. And it's like, pick it up more. And it's, I did recently, point, I did, it just, it just happened. We had people over and we yeah. played a little, and you're like, oh, this is so great. Right. It's free. It's great. It's fun. Yeah. It, it's expression. It, it's people expression. love it. The it's kids fulfilling. are involved, but yeah. you don't, you, you know, it's just like somehow it doesn't get picked up very often. Yeah. At know? some point in your life, this podcast was an idea. It wasn't an actuality. And then it became an actuality. I'd be curious to ask you, how many people in your life say, you know what, I've always wanted to start a podcast, but, and they don't, right? Yeah. So suddenly there, there are all these barriers, or I'd love to do this. Thing. I'd love to travel here. I'd love to do this. You're like, why can't you? Yeah. Well, well that's one, I mean, that's what, why I was, you know, very excited when you came in here and you're like, I love this space because this was literally nothing. Right. And it was, and it was created and now there's, it's like a studio and it's a, uh, you know, there's tapings here and there's, the, yeah. and it's, it's, uh, there is something really liberating about just going, I want to do this and I'm going to do it. And yeah. it's kind of goes back to you going to Thailand. And this is what I say to people. You don't really have to know how I didn't know what I was doing here, right. but I had a, a friend, Jay Faruja, who I, I always call out here. He has a successful Ajay. podcast and yeah. he and he um he just gave me some tips awesome. and then i had sound engineers that i would do voiceover work at okay. their places and they give me some tips yeah you know and it was you like figured bumping it around in the dark right. and then all of a sudden after a little while you go oh, okay it's not rocket science it's you know it's like a 
Yeah. Old school. It's like a tape recorder. We yeah. just sit down and have a conversation. And then it turns into like, there's a website and there's right, this and right, there's, right. you know, advertising, all of that. But yeah, you don't really have to know it all in the beginning. You don't have to know it. You just have to have the desire. Yeah. And still, you could not be doing this. You could be the guy going, yeah, I really think I'm going to start a podcast. Someday I will. Yeah. You know, when the kids are here and I've made this and the wife's that and the house is this. And, and then you'll never do it. And it just never happens. Yeah. And it's a podcast, right? Everybody's got something. I'm not advocating this full year unless you can do it yeah. or you want to do it. But everybody can add a little bit of something. And this is external. Everybody can do, everybody listening can make a phone call. Yeah. Everybody can reach out to someone and say, I love you. I'm sorry. Hey, let's reconnect. Right? Everybody can change a paradigm of a relationship in their lives. They can meditate. They can read a different book. Right? Complacency is the death of all of us. Yeah. You're so clear. Man, it's I've been on a ride, brother. Yeah, you're really clear. Yeah. I mean, everybody It's interesting. You're not you're not saying things that I haven't heard. Right. But because you're fully living it, yeah, it's different. I'm receiving 100%. it differently yeah. than I do from other people because you are you have really just walked the walk. This is my reality. Yeah. yeah, and it was my reality. So how long ago was that year of um, what did you call it? The project, the of, year to live project, year to live project. Yeah. How long? What year? That was 2016. It, it ended January. F- December 31st, 2016. And I had I was writing all along the way of it. So I blogged about it. Do you have a book coming out? Uh, it it's, I will by the end of, as soon as I compile it all. Yeah, I wrote about it to write a book about it. So I've got, you know, 40, 1500 to 2000 word blog posts up on it about the whole experience. Can people find that yep. now? Yeah, yeah. It's on my website under the blog heading of Year to Live Project. And what's the website, Traver? Traverbohm.com, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M.com. Okay. And I put stuff on, I write daily on Instagram too, which is Traverbohm. Okay, cool. I got to yeah. follow cool. you on Instagram. Um, the So the, what else did you do in that year? Uh, and by the way, uh, you let me know. Uh, time constraints. It's uh, you're you're good right now. Yeah. If you you know, I think I've got to meet that other person. Yeah. I think at two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you we're 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 okay. Plenty good right now. Good. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, the rest of that year. So mm-hmm. you stayed in Santa Barbara in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Went to Santa Fe. Went to Santa Fe. Which was just a random. Work. Yeah, I just decided. I meditated and got some intuition of like, what would I do? Right. So I sat on this question very deeply. And one of the first things that happened, I got this, you're going to work in hospice. I was like, oh, shit. You're like, no, let me ask again. What do you want me to right, do? Right, exactly. <laughs> the Swedish bikini hospice team? <laughs> do they need to learn kettlebell swings? Like, what am I going to do there? Yeah. And it just hit. And I was in that place of I will follow whatever intuition comes to me because me designing my own life has led me to here. So let me just surrender a bit and see what comes through. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And so I went to Santa Fe, worked in hospice for a couple months, and then went to Guatemala and had one of the most impactful experiences of my life, which was that dark retreat. Were other people doing it at the same time or is this just like your own thing? Just me. 
my own hut. You don't, I wouldn't want other people around. Yeah. It was so private, so intimate. Did you not eat during that time? I ate. You ate? Three times a day through, uh, think of like a, a double mailbox system. Like the outside of a mailbox could be opened, a little Tupperware container of vegan food could be put in, mailbox closed, bell rung, then my side could be opened and the, the light wouldn't come in. So like uh, an actual place does this? Like they, you Yeah, it's on an up. ashram. Oh, it's okay. in an ashram. So it's in a spiritual center. Yeah. And I'll email you. I have a YouTube link of me filming the room and talking about like walking people through it. Oh. So they get an actual visual of what the room was like. I feel so, I feel so like, uh, I don't know what the word is, but like vanilla that I'm like, so there are people that do this like that. <laughs> dude, it's an ashram. It's, <laughs> I didn't know about it either until, you know, a, a couple months before someone told me about it. And I was like, oh, wow. What did you just say? Yeah. You spent that much time in pure darkness? Where did where, 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 people do this? And so don't worry. So yeah. you did It's not that. a normal experience. Yeah. I, I'm just laughing. I'm like, um. Uh, <laughs> so, so you, you do that, mm -hmm. you come out and you have how much left in this year in 2016? Like what, what month was that? And what else did you do after that? And how that did was that a, kind of like, it was about did, August there. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was maybe August. No, I'm sorry. It was a couple months before that. I had these grand plans. Sorry. I'm just taking okay. off hot in here. Uh, to, you know, in the dark, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Cuba. I want to go see Cuba. I'm going to go down to Nicaragua and surf my ass off for a couple months. I'm going to go get a hamburger. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I'm yeah. going to go try to have sex. I'm going to do something and then walk out and was, I'm not going anywhere. Like the reacclimation process took about two months. I stayed in Guatemala and lived on the ashram, lived with hippies. Lived in very calm, serene, spiritual life of singing circles and uh, devotional circles and dancing and acid and ayahuasca and a whole bunch of other weird shit and just got myself okay again. It was such a, uh, a radical experience of being in the dark. Wow. So when you what what's your theory on that? Do you think you just came – it's almost – just overwhelming to the senses after being locked up in darkness for 28 days that you're just like, I, I can't go out there in the, in the world yet. Um, no, it wasn't, was it, it wasn't so much that. Or just that, a desire for peace kind of. Yeah. I think so much had gotten churned up. So here's the thing about that, that much time. And it's an extraordinary amount of time in the dark with nothing, no books, no music, no electricity, no, no one to talk to that so much of my insides got churned up and they did. There were, you know, a week straight of just sobbing uncontrollably on the floor, like full on convulsively sobbing, not sleeping for three weeks straight, you know, cause my brain is all effed up, hallucinating you thinking I was dead for a couple days, like literally not knowing is my, is this, is this, am I just dreaming my body? Holy shit. I may be dead. And this whole thing may be a fucking joke. Oh, wow. I have no concept of reality right now. So to come back from that, I came out and, uh, and the, um, the owner of the ashram was like, talk quietly, realize that, you know, conversations may be overwhelming, et cetera. And I was like, give me someone to talk to. Like, hey, you, come here. You want to hear about the story? Can you believe what I just did? Like humans, someone hug me, someone touch me, someone yada really? yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I need to, I wrote my ass off. But then over the course of the next two months, it was like, oh, wow, I need to sit down and just feel. 
Yeah. There's stuff happening that I haven't recovered from. The initial excitement went away and it was, wow, that was like living 10 years in a month or 10 years of therapy in a month. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just got to sit my ass down and be around really loving people. Were they scared? Were they scared of you when you came out? Like, were you like aggressive when you came out? No, like, no, no. Or were you kind of peaceful, or were you scared, or were you, what was? No, I was. I wasn't scary. I don't think. I mean, yeah. I'm still friends with a lot of the yeah, people yeah. that I hung out with. Uh, I was introspective. I think I was an anomaly to them, and this is something I had to wrap my head around: is that I'm living now with people who, on a nightly basis, talk to angels. Who have who intuit geometrical shapes that the next day they'll draw at breakfast that are these massive, you know, uh, designs. They're literally saying, you know, God came to me last night and read me this book. And when I meditate, I see it's like they hallucinate. I'm going, man, when I meditate, I see boobs and surf. Yeah. Like I'm a white dude from Connecticut. Yeah. I'm a fighter. I don't. I'm not built like you people. I'm not. I'm there in like board shorts and no shirt. Not you know, with a attire of, of, of hippies. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to play an instrument. I don't know how to sing. Like, so I think they looked at me and were like, oh, meathead jock. Yeah. But you just spent a month in darkness. Here we can talk to God on like a cell phone. But that idea is terrifying to us. We can't do that. And so it was confusing even to me. I'm like, hey, how come, how, come I, how come I could do that? I remember asking the owner of the ashram, because she said, she said something really interesting. I overheard a conversation where she said, we don't let anybody go into the dark for more than three days if it's their first time. And, and it was, was your first time? And it was my first time. And I pulled her aside after. I was like, I'm sorry, I just did 28 days. Why did you let me do that? She said, when I met you, I just got a sense that you could do it and you needed to do it and you'd be okay. And I wanted to know from her, what was that sense? What am I not seeing in myself? that you clearly saw with your gifts and talents and et cetera. And so I think I was confusing to that community. You know, I taught self-defense in the ashram. It's like, hey, a bunch of girls are getting accosted by guys with knives. Cool. Let's circle up. I'm going to teach you how to fuck some people up. And they're like, wow, this guy's odd. Why are you here? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, hey, anyone want to do a, see how many push-ups we can do? You know? <laughs> Now we're going to play our instruments. Uh, so I don't think I was scary because I was yeah. just confusing. No, no, just the way you described when you came yeah. out. You're like, I want to talk to you. I want to tell yeah. you. You know, like, <laughs> where, like, where are you bugging out? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. You know, um, that's that's so far. So, so you're making me think about um, what was, what, what do you think it was in your, maybe it was in your childhood. Maybe it's just in your nature, in your DNA, your uh, maybe your parents are this way, or I don't know if you have siblings, but wh what is it this, cause you're, you're a searcher and mm -hmm. I, I consider myself a searcher, but I'm kind of not as, I don't think I'm as extreme. And I have like one particular friend from growing up who's like a real searcher and like really went the distance in a similar way. Uh, what do you think that is? Is it just something born in, into you or maybe you can't, I don't know. Really, um, you know, maybe maybe you don't have the perspective on it, but it's uh, yeah, it's I just it's like just you an said, unquenchable thirst. Yeah, for, it's your life. Yeah, right. This is my life. So I would come back and tell people, like, yeah, I spent twenty eight days in darkness, and their jaws would drop, 
And they're like, what did you just fucking say to me? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you can do it too. Right? Like, oh, you fought in a cage for a couple of years. Like, yeah. Didn't everybody? You know, it's not, it's yeah. weird. But yet I look at someone like you, like, oh my God, you're an actor? Dude, how did you just, how do you do that? Right? How did you, and at other people, I look at their lives and go, holy shit, how do you do that? You're so, you're like a brain surgeon to me. Yeah. And they look at me the same. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is what the asterisk is. Is that if all of a sudden you woke up tomorrow and all of this was gone, you would search in a more extreme way. Yeah. So I was fighting for my life in some regard or for my emotional life and spiritual life. I was fighting to put myself back together from the depth of rock bottom. Yeah. And I think there's more freedom to search then. I also didn't have to worry about a paycheck. Yeah. Right. There's some logistics that came into this. But the searching aspect... I felt like I had been handed a gift, which was the worst suffering I knew. And so if it's going to be this bad, I don't ever want to come back here. Let's see if what it's like just a little bit worse. Right? It's like the depth of a workout. If someone says, hey, this is going to be one of the hardest workouts of your life. I'm the type of person that halfway in go, what if we made it a little bit harder? Because I don't ever want to come back here again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let's get it all. Yeah. Let's just find the suck and stay down there. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's fascinating, it's, I, and and I really do I I relate to your journey. I think um, just being honest, I think I'm like you know the light version of that. Like, because I I do think compared to a lot of people, I've put myself in position to search and be at risk and all of that. Yeah, and yet for sure, uh, you know, when I look at you and what you've done it's um it's it's really uh it's extreme in a great in a really i think great way and fascinating and it's and it's cool because you are you know you said you just did a workshop in in san diego and i'm and i'm guessing that people love to hear you speak because you know you can talk about that stuff but when you kind of go to the edge and and like dangle your foot over the edge. Yeah. You know, there are only a certain amount of people who have done that. Yeah. You know, and come back to talk about it. So, right. you know, it just gives you something to uh, to share that other people just don't, can't quite have that same perspective, I think. Yeah. Um, what is, uh, what what's next on the agenda? I'll, I'll you know, we're over sure. an hour here, but sure, sure, I'm sure. cool if you want to hang. Or yeah, we, definitely. We can kind of like... Uh, wrap it up here, but what what's mm-hmm. next? Like, I guess I love everything you're mm-hmm. saying. Where can people find you? Where can they learn more about this? You know, where can people follow you? I know you said cool. Instagram. Yeah, Instagram at Traver Bohm, uh, my website. You know, so what I'm doing next is a big question because I spent a lot of last year fumbling, honestly, trying to sort myself. Okay this huge project's done. Now I need to put my life back together. Now I need to figure out ways to use all of these experiences and recover from it and have my divorce finalized and do some other deal with some other pain and go, Oh wow, it's time to rebuild an actual life. And so I worked for I wrote a book on how to get over your, how to use the pain of your divorce to change your life, pain of divorce or heartbreak. And for a while, I was dead set on helping people who had been in the exact situation. All right, 
wife or husband took off, boom, I can help you. It's going to suck, but guess what? I'm going to make it so that when you re- when you get it through this, you're going to be so much better off than you ever were before. You'll be thankful for, for it happening. And I did that for a little while, and uh, it was really hard because every day I was hearing these brutal heartbreak stories that I could relate to so uh, somatically that I would be annihilated at the end of the day, Matt. And then I, I noticed something interesting. For the first time in my life, I'm working with more men than I am women. And as a client, as an acupuncturist, like I'm, I'm in the self-development self self development space, there's more women naturally. Wow, I have a bunch of dude clients and not a lot of women. And I'm having the same conversation. Dudes that were walked out on? Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. I would say I'm going to get you from, I can't believe she left to thank God she did. And that was my sort of, and that was true, right? Like we're going to rebuild you from the ground up in a way you've never experienced. And I started noticing the conversations happening, like identical conversations, that these guys were all suffering in the same way. And it started long before their marriages ended. Something about they were how they were perceiving masculinity and the male experience was disempowered. They were lost somewhere in this, in this field of masculinity. I was like, huh. I sat one down and said, give me 12 weeks with you. I'm going to run you through this idea I have. I call it man uncivilized. I'm going to see what happens to your life. I was like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I lived in an ashram with men of the heart, like these beautiful, wide open, godly, priestly men. And they taught me to open my own heart. It was, it's the most incredible experience. But God bless them. They're yogis and kind of skinny guys. If someone breaks into my house and those dudes are there, like I don't see them putting their backs to mine and being like, all right, these guys just made a massive mistake. Let's go fuck some shit up. And that was my kind of guy. So I was a fighter. And then what we haven't talked about, uh, one of the parts of the project I did was 28 days living in the wilderness in a, a wilderness survival school in Utah. And I met these mountain men. These guys that would like hunt and kill their own food that were, you know, living, living on the periphery of society would spend six, eight months a year living in the wilderness. And they taught me that love, that the primal, they opened up the primal masculine in me. And I was telling this guy, I'm going to take them both, the divine and the primal. I'm going to put them together. I don't see that space really in society right now for men. We are shaming strength right now and in the U.S. because we're seeing the shadow side of strength, which is the abuse of power. I don't see the divine inspired in men. Most men I talk to don't say, oh, that was the most heart-opening experience. I love it. Or I just had the most heart-opening, intimate experience. So I'm going to put them both together and teach both. I'm going to call it, you're, I'm going to make you uncivilized. He said, why uncivilized? Said, look around you. Look at the men you know. And look at, and this is, we're in a little bit more of an enlightened group ourselves. Look at most guys. They work too much. They don't, they don't talk to their wives. They're cheating on their wives. They're drinking too much. They're fantasy footballing. They're completely shut down. They're unavailable. They have no sense of skillfully using their pain. They're lost. They have no idea that they have a pathway to actualization and enlightenment called masculinity. Most men think we are just humans with a dick. And we're a slave to that. And that's it. And so I, wanna, I wanted to work with him and take him from where he was to the end of this 12 weeks and just see what happened. And have him go through 
a protocol of, hey, every day, brother, you're working out. Every day you're meditating for a few minutes. You're journaling on these, these questions I'm going to ask you about. Where in your life do you feel most powerful? Where are you most scared of intimacy? How are you having a fully open and honest conversation with your wife, sharing your feelings, your fears, et cetera, and doing it from a place of strength? And this guy's life went 180 degrees different. He got in shape. His relationship was saved. He started making more money. It was like his whole life just took off. I was like, huh, I wonder what I can do with this. I wonder if there's a space for this. Fortunately, at the time, someone made a hashtag called Me Too. And holy shit, were their eyes on men. Suddenly, all of our behavior is now under a microscope. And women started writing into me saying, yeah, my guy's lost. My guy needs help. And I knew suicide rates. Who, who's killing themselves? Seven out of ten suicides are white males. Holy shit. Who's dying ten years before their female partners? We are. Who's leading every negative statistic in America, right? From addiction to abuse to prison to you name it, it's dudes. Okay. So I threw this idea out on Instagram. Hey, I have this 12-week course called Man Uncivilized. And poof, my inbox exploded. And it just turned into this, holy shit. Uh, oh my God, guys are actually interested in this. Okay, let's get some, let's get some guys through this. Okay, I'm going to throw, anyone wants to come? I got Lululemon in New York City gave me their, their space for a night. Anybody want to come? 25 guys show up. I'm hoping for two. Okay, what do you guys want to talk about? It's really hard for me to express myself. I don't know how to express my feelings, but I really want to. Oh, shit. Okay, let's talk about that. Uh, I'm terrified of the women in my workplace. I'm terrified to date. I think if I do anything that's wrong, I'm going to end up on someone's blog. Okay, anybody else relate to that? And we just started having the these. Hands go up yeah, every it, hand yeah. goes up. We start having these really open dialogues about the state of masculinity. I said, I think it's transitioning. I know it's transitioning. I want to be a part of facilitating the transition into something that works for men and therefore also, and additionally, works with women. That the old paradigm of masculinity, the the thing we all grew up with, which was it came out of the depression, right? Our grandfathers teaching our fathers stoic. I don't have any feelings other than anger, right? I'll just drink it away. I'll smoke it away. My story. And then the flip side was the pendulum swung the other way to these guys that were all expression, all feeling and no fucking balls. They didn't know how to go out in the world and say, yeah, I need to be strong. It's okay to be strong. I'm going to celebrate being a man. I'm going to celebrate my masculinity. I'm not going to be a dick. I'm not going to be abusive. I'm not going to subjugate. I'm not going to do any of this nonsense that all these guys who but are going to do. not going to apologize. Yeah, but I'm not going to apologize for being a guy. I do not. I get that question all that's ever since this, this movement started. I have a number of women say, isn't this a really tough time to be a man? Like, God, there's never been a better time because the truth, the light of truth is on us. Anything you do now that's a poor behavior, yeah, you're going to be exposed for it. And guess what? Things you did 10 years ago that you're like, oh, I got away with it and boys will be boys. Nope, that's going to get exposed too. So we need to, and there's such a space for teaching men to skillfully use their pain, teaching men to actually express themselves, and then coming together in a brotherhood and saying, oh, wow, not only can I talk to my wife, I can talk to you as a man. I can say, you know what, man? I'm hurting. 
I don't know what to do in this situation. And I don't really want to talk to a woman about it. I need to talk to a brother. And men can, can get off of this train of isolation, which is killing more of us than anything else on the planet yeah. right now. It's funny. I, I, I read that somewhere about the, the I don't know wh- where it was I was reading, about the, the isolation and, you know, something about men not having anybody to talk to. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you're talking about. I don't, I don't think it was when I was looking you up. I don't think. It was somewhere else. And I thought I, I kind of had this unique uh, experience. I think, it, I think looking back on it now, it must have been unique. I had all, all of my friends from, you know, when we were younger, even like, like friends in elementary school and then like my, my high school buddies, college buddies, we all kind of uh, played sports, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. were uh, athletes and kind of like, you know, physical but also talked like i don't mm-hmm. i didn't really feel like we i felt pretty open yeah you know so i and then as an actor it's like all my friends is that we're just like you know you're talking it's like you know, you're it's wide like open. constant yeah. well it's like constant therapy i mean you're just going through it and right. you you know that you have to have some kind of expression right you know? right and um so it's interesting i hear that yeah and i'm like that wasn't my experience experience but i i agree with you because yeah, you're an like, anomaly i right? guess most men so if we look at it like i you know i think a lot in martial arts terms like you have a black belt in expression and compassion and empathy and relatedness and community where there's guys who are blue belts that may have a couple male friends that they play you know video games with or go have beards with beers with then they're white belts which is most guys who are just have, they don't even have friends or they don't even have companions. They don't have one guy that they can reach out to and say, this is maybe people a little bit older than us. Yeah. And go, oh, wow. Everybody I know is married with kids or divorced and elsewhere. And the guys at my job, I don't really like or hang out with. I don't relate to. So I need some form of brotherhood. Or you get guys that actually have gone through an experience or a course or are searchers. And say, man, I don't know a lot of other conscious men. I don't have men to relate to. And this is this is LA. So it's a little more, it's more open-minded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, take a guy in Ohio or Indiana and says, Oh wow, you have you you're into consciousness. You have elevated your consciousness. Who do you hang out with? Right. And I get why women, I, I all of my travels, I wanted to talk to women about what's your experience with men. I think not ever knowing or not knowing at the time. That they were, there was those conversations were the seeds for this movement. And they'd say, I just don't have a guy I can talk to about anything. He doesn't relate to me about self-growth or development or actualization or moving forward. He, they're all stuck. They're all complacent. They're all sitting in their own stagnation, right? And I found that there's a, a group of men or a, a, pop, a part of the population that says, yeah, I'm stagnant, but I just don't know what to do. Right. Show me what to do. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. And a lot of it is people, like you said, athletes. It's people that went, yeah, I used to be on a team. I used to have brothers. I used to have guys that I went and moved with. I shot the shit with. I played basketball with on the weekends. But not all. You know, That group I had in New York was the most eclectic group of men I've ever been around. We had musicians. Uh, we had six gay guys. We had a, a New York giant. We had, you know, personal trainers, finance guys, an architect, uh, you name it. It was like, holy shit, everybody from every walk of life showed up yeah. and had something in common. 
And the, one of the questions I asked them was, what do you love most about being a man? And what's hardest for you right now about being a man? And the most common answer was, I've actually never thought about relating to myself as a man. I'm just, I just am a human. So no, 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 this is one of the challenges, right? Relating to your masculinity is as important as a Christian relating to Christ. It's part of the deal. You have this in you. So if you don't relate to it, you're going to be dissociated from it. You're going to be removed from it. But when you do relate to it, it gives you a pathway. It gives you a, a, a guidebook from which to operate. That if you relax into your true masculine nature, your life will be phenomenally easier and better and more healthy. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. The way you, you put it. Um, it. Yeah. I don't even know how to, I, I, I'm so glad I felt like I was kind of like winding us down. I'm so glad, <laughs> no, I'm so glad you yeah. went into that. Cause yeah. that's, that's like really it's my mission big, right now. That's the big takeaway here. Yeah. Actually. Um, Men need to wake up. I, my purpose, I think from this whole journey was that, you know, yes, the year to live project uh, you know, God willing, I've seen the cover of the book. I hallucinated it in the dark, yeah. but this is the work I'm doing right now in the world, which is just shaking men awake because we are doing so much damage when we're not awake to ourselves, to our family members, to our kids, to our society, to our community. I mean, it reminds me of uh, a more, a slightly more civilized fight club. Yeah, you know, yeah fight exactly. Club? Yeah, of course. I mean, of that's, course. that's fight club. Basically. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're... Uh, you get if you lose touch with your masculinity yeah you you're not full no you know you're only living half of it I and, and you'll express movie. it in a shadow way yeah right you'll express it through porn through drugs through alcohol through you know poor behavior the shadow side of of yeah. everything which is literally what happens in that film where right. he's like Tyler Durden I don't know how well you know that yeah film, oh yeah, but, yeah I loved it you know yeah Brad Pitt is right. Ed Norton's his shadow side. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's uh, it's really it's really it's a great book. I, you know, I never I never oh, read, read the book. book. I need to. Yeah, read yeah. the book, man. Yeah, read as we're book. talking, I was just thinking I should read yeah. that book. But what? So so how does that kind of um, how do those things manifest themselves? Are they all like pop up things like the Lululemon one, or are you now going and doing? events like is that what san diego was san like, diego was just a uh, a talk for an event called think better live better it wasn't this no this literally was an idea i had a couple months ago ran some guys through it as like a coaching program and then had them say well now what i go oh wow okay uh now we're going to turn it into a year-long thing now we're going to turn it into a community now we're going to turn it into events that will manifest that just haven't yet because i got hit by a train of guys that were interested in it. It's, it was a beautiful problem, but suddenly I had all these people that wanted to work with me yeah. and we're doing well and we're bringing more people in. I was like, oh shit, now I have to hire an assistant. Oh shit, now I need to hire. Okay, everybody slow down for a minute. Yeah. I didn't know that the need was here or that because I had always heard and believed the story I had told myself is men won't engage with this. They won't. But they are. They are. Yeah. Even though predominantly I speak to women who say, Hey, how do I get my boyfriend to do this? How yeah. do I get my husband to do this? Well, He's that's the you know that's the thing that I, I think is actually really cool with you. And I kind of mentioned it at the beginning when you came in, and I was like, "Wow, you had this intense TED talk, and I meet you, and you're 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 much lighter in person than you were in the TED talk. You were yeah. really intense." 
Um, but I think that is a huge asset for you with this mission because, you know, what's going to happen when, a, when some like, you know, dude's wife is like, you know, yeah. you got to go talk to this guy. He's going to be like, I'm not going to go talk to that guy. And then right. he sees you and he's like, oh, he was an MMA fighter. I mean, it, right. it's shallow, yeah. but that's no, it's, it's exactly truth. true. They're going to, they're going to go, oh, okay, wait, yeah. this guy, you know, he was an MMA fighter. He's, right. uh, he did security. He's, right. you know, black belt, all this stuff. And I mean, it makes it, it is like, you know, we're all just baboons. Like, oh, okay. He can, <laughs> you know, and, and then they'll listen to you, but it's kind of true. It's <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of like you have that because you do have that dual thing going where right. you've got this, you talk about it in the Ted talk when right. you had the, before you had the experience when you were doing acupuncture at day during the day trying to heal yeah. and fighting at night it's yeah. just something you you got both sides so yeah. it actually makes total sense to me to hear that that was your mission and it almost sounds like it was even yeah. incubating back then it you was. just didn't know it yeah i didn't know you can't connect dots for it but i can look back to that time even and now you're life. like oh yeah of course that's what that yeah. guy does it makes sense yeah like yeah. of course he was like yeah right. beating the crap out of people at night <laughs> right. fixing them up during the day yeah now he's doing this thing for masculine bringing their yeah. their yin and their yang their together. divine and the primal it was my life the primality was people ask used to ask like why do you love cage fighting or mma i was like it's pure it is pure primal energy. It's nothing like standing across from one guy and going, that guy has trained for months to beat the shit out of me. And I'm going to go beat the shit out of him. And whatever happens, happens. And then at the end of it, we are going to hug and stay in touch for the next five years. Because we is have that this what extraordinary happens, basically? Oh, it's yeah. people you end up being closest to. It's a really odd, and it's only a male experience. Yes, women fight, but I have found with men... The guys that beat the shit out of you most in training are the guys you end up, you'll, you'll go to war with them. Those are the guys who I called when I found out I was getting divorced. Yeah. People that I'd been through hell with, right? There's something that we know this common suffering breeds bonding. So yeah. yeah, it was the primal. And then my life had, I had to go through that year to live project to understand divinity, to understand my own connection to a spiritual world and a spiritual life that was so missing throughout my whole divorce and that, or my whole marriage and that whole experience. Yeah. And what, one last thing before you go, sure. what in the relationship department, are you like, where are you with that? You're not married now. I'm not married. Uh, no. like, I'm single. You're single. Yeah. 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 I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not in the same place for very long. So yeah. I've been hopping around for the last two and a half years. What's your life look like right now in terms of that? Like, are you, where are you, you're based where? In, uh, in the moment in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Yeah, and it was just it's just random. But you're all over the place, all, all over, over the, the world place. or just the country right now? Uh, right now just the country. Yeah. You know, I want this to be all over the world, but part of my own search and part of my own development of the next step is I need a home. And I'm searching for that. Nowhere I feel for the first time in my life after that whole experience, I feel amazing in my own skin. And that is a blessing and a half. So I feel okay everywhere in the world. But nowhere has felt like, ah, oh, this is the spot I'm supposed to be huh. in the two and a half years since I left my home, right? Yeah. So this year, I felt I will find it. And you have siblings or no? I have two older sisters. Where are they? East Coast? Or? East Coast, yeah. And, and your parents? Still, parents are still alive. Still alive. East Coast. East Coast. Yeah. We're just not a very close family. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of free to be wherever I want in the world. Yeah. Which is a blessing and a curse. 
Yeah. I can literally go and live anywhere. And that makes for a lot of choices. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're kind of looking right now, wondering where it is that you'll land and I like call your headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling it out. You know, there's a lot of options and it's this again for your listeners may not sound fluffy, but I've heard and I've deeply meditated over it. I was like, where the heck? Someone just tell me where I'm going to live. <laughs> right. And I get this little voice back that's, you're not going to live anywhere for a while. So just calm down. Yeah. Like that wasn't what I was asking. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean Denver? <laughs> right. Going back to the other thing. Is there an opening in the Swedish bikini? <laughs> yeah. Dorm room? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. That's, uh, I guess you just don't know. Uh, it's, it doesn't seem like right now is necessarily the time to be no it seems like you've got to be on the go yeah in a way. yeah 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 at this, I need at to this be, stage yeah and the mission has become this is my life expression right now yeah and it's so fulfilling like i i, I don't sleep well at night because i'm lying in bed like oh my god i can't believe my life is like this and i sent a guy a message before i got here saying i was just in the shower thinking i can't believe how many times this week i've said that was the greatest something I've ever experienced conversation, interview, dinner, conversation with a human, like hug, like, oh my God, yeah, I can't believe this is my life. Yeah. Uh, and I live out of a backpack, right? Like I don't own possessions. I have a truck and yeah. some stuff. That's it. And it's this weird, like it's skewed on some level, but I wouldn't trade it right now for anything. I wouldn't trade it for the stability I thought I had three years ago. Yeah. I mean, my feeling, you know, I just met you. So what do I know? But it's like, keep riding this part of the wave out. Yeah. And then this will, it'll be, you know, it's almost like when you came out of the, the ashram where you said you were like all Mm -hmm. hyped up Mm -hmm. and then after writing it out, getting it out, getting it out, it kind of slowly, you got back into the rhythm Mm -hmm. of everything. It's almost like I think you're in that stage mm. right now where you're just out of it. And so it's like – and you, you'll just – it seems like there's going to be more of that because yeah. it seems like your thing is building yeah. still right yeah, it's now. it's building massively. And it'll go and – then, and then it'll just, you know, yeah. uh, I'll talk to you in like three years. You'll be like, I'm in Denver. Hopefully you're in a good like ski area or somewhere. Like <laughs> <laughs> Come ski with you. It's, like, it's going to be surf area, ski or surf, I surf, promise surf you. sounds good. I'm just learning. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. terrible. Okay. But. Yeah, uh, that's a good. Maybe I'll be good. That'll be a goal to be yeah. good by the time you're in a cool surf spot. It's going to be one of the two. I, I can promise you that. <laughs> that or I'll go against the grain of the universe to be like, I know I want to surf. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. Hey, man, thank you so much thank for you. being here. I'm realizing you're going to be just on time oh, for perfect. your next appointment. Perfect. So I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. That's thank awesome. you so much. Yeah. Oh, oh, quick. Uh, Instagram. Where is it? Just Traver Bohm. Traver Bohm. Yeah, at Traver Bohm. At Traver Bohm. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks again for listening to 10,000 No's. If you haven't subscribed to us yet, please do. So each week's episode is automatically downloaded to your computer or phone. And if you like what you heard, please help us get the word out by sharing it with your friends and family. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.